Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Colossians 3.16, that your word richly dwells among us. Thank you, Lord, that as we give ear to your word, Mark chapter 4, the, the, the way that we invest in your word, you invest back into us, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, we come at Luke 5.1, we press in to hear your word. And I thank you, Galatians 4.19, that Christ is more completely formed in all of us. Lord, every family represented, every person this morning, let Christ be more completely formed in us. In the name of our Lord and best friend Jesus, we say, Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And before I read our text, we're going to be in verse 41. I want to share a story with you that I heard this week because it really sets the table for the meal that we're going to, to eat of this morning in, in God's Word. It's back in World War II, and they were having in, in England a major shortage of coal, and that was a major energy source in World War II. And so the great leader Winston Churchill he called all the labor unions together and all the coal miners together. And he was telling the men, we need more. We need your family to help. We need your brothers to help. The, they, the government was enlisting for the army, and the army was growing. However, they were, there was just a major shortage of coal. And, and Winston Churchill said, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about the parade that's going to happen after the war. And he said, can you see the sailors who march in? And they defended the, the vital sea lanes. And can you see the, the pilots who march in? And can you, as everyone cheers because they defended our skies. And can you see the soldiers who were fighting on the ground and, and dodging bullets? And then all of a sudden, here come all these soot-stained men, all these men with coal miners caps, and there's thousands of them behind in this parade. And Winston Churchill said, someone will yell to you, where were you during our time of struggle? Where were you in this hardship that our countries went through? And then 10,000 voices will cry at one time. We were deep within the earth and our face was to the coal. How many know the kingdom of God doesn't advance doesn't move forward unless we have people whose faces are to the coal. Not every position in the kingdom of the Lord is a visible position. Not every position is a position of prominence. And so we're going to peek in this morning at a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 41. Here we go. Ready? Let's read this together. Hearing this, the ten became indignant with James and John. Remember, James and John had just asked Jesus, Hey, in your kingdom, would you grant me to sit on your left? And would you grant me to sit on your right? They were jockeying for a position. They were jockeying for prominence. They were jockeying and, and, and bidding for leadership. And Jesus, calling them to himself in verse 42, said this. He said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles... They lorded over them. How many of you have ever worked for an employer who really just lorded over you and, and, and just abused their authority? Yeah, amen. And we all have. It says, you know that the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Now, he's not saying you won't have authority. He's not saying that you won't have influence. But he's saying you will have a heart attached to leadership. Leadership is not about having authority. Leadership is not about whose name is on the door. Leadership is about the relationship you have with the people that you're leading. Those of you future leaders in the house, so many times in our job, we, wanna, we just want a position. I'm the third key. I'm the assistant manager. Listen, I, I'll tell you, being the third key at your company is probably a demotion. It is not a promotion. 
they came to me. I worked a long time ago at a jewelry store, worked for K Jewelers. So if I look at your ring and watch, I'm not weird. I just used to work in jewelry, okay? So I notice it. I sold it for years. They came to me and said, James, you're doing such a good job. We want to offer you a promotion. They said, we want to make you a third key holder. And I said, that's great. What kind of pay raise am I talking about? Well, there's no pay raise. We just want you to have a key. I was like, so you want me to have a key and work when you can't and close when you don't want to, but you're not going to pay me more. I said, I don't know if I'm being promoted or demoted here. <laughs> Nonetheless, I took the key and, you know, and, and I survived. But he says, this is not the way it is among you. When we lead, when we get a position of authority, it's not about my name is on the door, I'm the boss. If you constantly have to tell people you're the boss, you're not the boss at all. If you constantly have to tell your children, you better listen to me because I'm the parent, something is wrong. Now, there are times you have to say, you better listen to me because I'm the parent. But even in our home, we should be husbands. If you have to constantly tell your wife, you better listen to me because I'm the husband. Or wife, if you tell your husband, you better listen to me because I'm the wife. We're not leading. Jesus is teaching us here that we lead out of relationship. We lead out of, our, out of a good heart. So he says, it's not to be this way among you. But look at verse 43. It says this, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great. How many of you wish to become great? We got a bunch of average achievers in the house. <laughs> If you aim at nothing, you're probably going to hit it. <laughs> Let's try it again. How many of you wish to become great? Okay, well, I was a little scared there. It's like, man, we, this is the, this, what a bunch here this morning. I, no, I really just want to be average, actually. I just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, subpar is okay with me. <laughs> Listen, he says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. We'll put your face to the coal. Now, I love this about Jesus. He did not rebuke them for wanting to be great. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to leadership, nothing wrong with aspiring to greatness. Some of you ought to have a little ambition. Can I have an amen? He did not correct them and chastise them. But look at verse 44. He said, whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This is God Himself the God we sing about this morning, how great is our God and the healer of all disease in the name above every name, the creator of the universe did not come to the earth to be served. But notice it says, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this morning for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about supernatural serving in the kingdom of God. Supernatural serving in the kingdom of God. Faithful serving is the formula to greatness in the kingdom of God. If you read Acts chapter 6, we're going to go there later, so don't turn there now. But if you read Acts chapter 6, it gives us kind of some elements of people who are called to serve. In a lot of churches now, we just hope we get warm bodies. And it will just this warm body will do, and, and this warm body will do. And how many of you love kids? People raise their hand. All right, we just got a bunch of nursery volunteers, you know. And so, honestly, if we take a look at biblical standards for serving in church, serving in ministry, yes, we want you to get involved. But God is more interested in what we are becoming than what we are doing. Let me say that again. God is more interested in what we are becoming than what we're doing. There are some elements in the New Testament. Testament in Acts chapter 6 that are outlined when, when they began to look for people to serve in ministry, they had some of these qualities. Pull this up on the screen. Number one is a good reputation. 
They were full of the Holy Spirit. They weren't full of it. Can I have an amen? They were full of the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of church people that are full of it, and it ain't the Holy Spirit, Pastor Michael. They were full of godly wisdom. Y'all know that was funny. You know that was good. I didn't say you, but if the shoe fits, wear it. I mean, praise God. They were full of godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not man's wisdom. They were full of godly wisdom. This is laid out in Acts 6. They were humble. I almost titled this the secure servant. There's something about being secure in who you are and what you're called to do. I'm very secure in what God has called me to do. I, uh, I understand that humility is not being inadequate. Humility is not be in, in a spirit of inadequacy, but it's a spirit of dependency. I'm very dependent upon the Lord. They're willing. I mean, you can't serve and make much of a difference if you're not willing. Notice this here. They're ready. They're, if you've been watching TV, there's a new commercial from, I think it's a hotel. They say, we'll make you the readiest. And it says, ready gives a pep talk. And this man's like, we can do it. And then the readiest makes a pep rally. And there's all these people running through banners and all that stuff. So look at your neighbor and say, you got to be the readiest. Got to be the readiest. We got to be ready. We got to be willing and able and, and, and ready. We have to be available. Anybody available in the house? All you single guys, look around. We've got some available people here today. Amen. Bob, you're not single. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you haven't noticed. We got to be available. We've got to be capable. It's one thing to have a good heart. Psalm 33 says, Shout for joy unto the Lord, and it says play skillfully, or, or it's, it's maybe switched. Play skillfully and shout for joy. We've got to have the shout for joy. We've got to have the good heart, but we also have to be able to play skillfully. We have to be capable. That's why we need training and development. These men were in tune with the Spirit of God. So I want to give you some secrets this morning, just real quick, just five little things real quick that I've seen that over ministry. I've been in ministry now oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years, and uh, just some things that I've learned. I've got a lot to learn. Don't say amen too big there, but I understand I've got a lot to learn. But there are some things I've learned about serving. I will tell you this. This has been one of the keys to my walk with the Lord. Uh, even at a young age, I was taught to serve, and I'm teaching my children to serve. Uh, I'm teaching my children that when they serve their mother and father, they're actually serving the Lord. I mean, it makes it a little easier now come dinner time to help get the dishes put away. Because, hey, if you serve mom and dad, you're actually serving as unto the Lord. And I mean that. It's, I've got a good heart in it, not manipulating them. But it's the absolute truth. When I'm serving you, that's the way that I'm serving the Lord. When I show up at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings with Pastor Michael and little Michael, wherever he is, and we're stacking speakers and carrying stuff and setting up screens and setting up pipe and drape and hauling trailers, we are serving you. But as we're serving you, we understand it's not just you. We are serving the Lord. And God doesn't forget. And He rewards those who serve in secret. He rewards openly. Isn't that good news? So I'm telling you this from a heart. I have always had a servant's heart, and I pray that I will continue to have a servant's heart. So number one, check it out. You've got to be joyful in service. You've got to be joyful in service. Everybody smile real big. Let me see those teeth. Come on, smile real big. You've got to be joyful in service. Let me know, it, it ain't no fun if you're griping and complaining the entire time that you're serving. Have you ever asked your children to do something around the house and they complained and bickered the whole time about the thing? Just, you know, why do I have to do this? Why do, nobody's ever had that happen, right? 
Is that just my kids? <laughs> and I tell them, the more you complain, the more I'm going to make you do. <laughs> the, more, the more that you gripe about this, and, 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 and you don't have to understand. I, I, son, I don't have a reason why I want you to do this. I just want you to do it. He's, he take, Noah takes out the trash. He's a trash guy. And he'll say, Dad, why do I always have to take out the trash? Because I don't want to do it, praise the Lord. That's why. And so we, when we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to serve our spouse. You know you serve your family. You're serving your family. You can serve your mate. You can serve at the Teen Challenge Center. I serve at the office. During the week, I work at a regular job, just like you. And I, I serve our other employees. I'll see the, the boss, the main guy. He'll be pulling in with supplies, and, and just, I'm not saying this braggadocially, it's just a fact, I'm normally the only one, and if somebody sees me, they'll feel bad, and they'll go out and help, but I'll, it seems like I always just catch it at the right time, I'll open the door, go out, help him carry stuff in, he doesn't ask anybody help, he's just going to do it, but I see him, and I'll do it, not so I can get a raise, not so I can get favor, but because I'm serving, because my heart is, if you see a need, you feel it, and so, but you got to do this joyfully, how many of you got the joy of the Lord in your heart? Would you please notify your face <laughs> that you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart? Look at Psalm 100. That's, I love that's Out of everything I say, that may be the, my favorite thing. I say a lot of good stuff. Jazz likes that. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Can I have an amen? It doesn't say be just down and out and, and acting like you've been stuck in a jar of pickles for a week. I mean, this, let's, let's have a little bit of joy about us. There's joy in serving the Lord. Is it hard? Is it a challenge? Absolutely. On the way to church every morning, because it's early, and my morning starts about 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings is when I get up and I finish anything that I need to do, and I pray, and I go back over the notes, and, and I get on the internet real quick, quick find something to preach that sounds good, and I'm, I'm teased, I tease it. And I go back over everything. And, and you know, sometimes by 7.45 when I leave, I have a bunch of stuff I load in my car that I bring with me. And sometimes I'm just, honestly, I'm flat out tired already by 7.45. And I will get my car, and I will say this almost every week, if not every week, almost every week, I will say, today I choose joy. See, I don't choose joy when people come in because then if nobody comes in, I don't have any joy that day. I don't choose joy when Bob tells me the report of the offering, although it helps when it's better. Can I have an amen? I don't choose joy then. I choose joy at 7.45 in the morning. That way, no matter who comes in or doesn't come in, no matter what the offering is or is not, no matter how the music goes or how it doesn't go, or no matter what happens in the back or whatever, I have already chosen joy that morning, so nothing can steal my joy because I've already made a choice. And I say, Lord, today I choose passion. It's at 7.45 in the morning, drinking my coffee. I'm jumping around. I choose passion today. I choose joy today. I choose energy today. That way, it's not up to me to choose it now. I chose it this morning. I'm choosing to serve the Lord joyfully. It says, make a joyful shout unto the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Meaning, I'm glad for the opportunity. I'm glad that I get to lend myself to something bigger than what I am. I'm glad that, that I'm so thankful we've got some Chi Alpha folks here today. And, and I've been helping them on Thursday nights set up equipment. Maurice has been there. And, and uh, Ellie has been there. And they give of their time and they go and they serve because it's a joy. It's a get to, not a have to. It's a get to, not a have to. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. 
come before his presence. Notice this near. Now, notice this. You will not come to the presence of the Lord grumpy. Your attitude affects how you approach the presence of the Lord. Come before him with singing. Come before his presence with singing. Your attitude affects how you enter the presence of the Lord. So as I'm serving, I'm doing it joyfully. Heard a story one time about a married couple. It was kind of an arranged marriage back in the early, you know, early days, and they didn't, the lady didn't feel like she had a lot of choice, and they never really loved each other. And on their wedding day, the man gave her an envelope, and she opened it, and it was this giant to-do list of things that she was to do every day, all the chores around the house. How many of you want to be married to that guy? Do the laundry, cook this, do this, and that, and that. Bob's like, what's wrong with that? I thought, Is that not what I'm supposed to do? So this man gave this wife a envelope, and he really, he was really harsh, and it was very burdensome, and she had to really keep the house in a certain way, and, and very oppressive, and, and finally the man died, and, and she was single for many years, and then God brought her to another uh, husband, and he just loved her, he didn't put this burden on her, and he never told her what to do, and, and she was around the house one day just working and cleaning and came across that letter that her, her first husband had given her. And it was so burdensome and all the to-do list of what she had to do every day. And, and she realized, I'm doing all this now. She realized, I'm doing everything on the list, but I'm doing it because I love my husband. I'm doing it out of love for him. I'm doing it not because I have to, not out of legalism. I'm doing it now because of this relationship that I have with my husband. And how many know that's just the way it is with us and the Lord? Legalism adds weight to our serving. If you feel like you have to, or because the pastor is going to be mad at you, I love you and I appreciate you serving, but honestly, that's a form of legalism. I've not done a good job of teaching you that you're not serving because you don't want me to be mad at you. I appreciate your sweetheart and that you love me, but serving is much higher than me being mad at you or not being mad at you. Number one, have you ever seen me mad at any of you? I mean, maybe, maybe Pastor Michael, I don't know. But other than him, have you seen me mad? I'm teasing. And serving is not because, well, you know, I don't even want to let Pastor James down. I appreciate that. I love your heart. And please, please don't let us down. But there's more to serving the Lord than I don't want to let people down. We have a higher calling. We have a higher calling. I'm not serving you. I'm actually serving the Lord. I'm serving you through my local church, but I'm actually serving the Lord. And so we, it's, a, it's a get to, it's not, it's not a have to. All right, number two, serving shows thankfulness. You are thankful for your church and therefore you serve. You, you're thankful to the Lord for all he's done for you. So when we serve God, it is a way that we show thankfulness. Thankful people serve. Can I have an amen? Thankful people let that flow out of their heart. Now look at Matthew chapter 8 in verse 14 and 15. Jesus came into Peter's house, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying sick in bed with a fever. I love this. Notice what happened here. So Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left. And she got up and waited on them. And the Greek word there, waited, means served. And another translation says she ministered unto them. She was healed. She was touched. She was thankful. So she who was laying in bed got up and began to wait and serve and minister on the apostles that were in the house. Serving shows thankfulness. This is faith with works. This is when we have faith, when we've been touched by God, our response is that we serve Him. Let me speak to our friends in Teen Challenge this morning. You're in a great environment right now where the Lord is shaping you. You feel like you're being shaped. You feel like you're being squeezed. 
And, and there will be a day when you are on the outside of that and you will, will be free and you will be restored. Be the one that returns to say thank you. Remember in Scripture, I feel this real strong for someone. Remember in Scripture there were ten lepers that were healed. Jesus healed ten lepers. And the Bible says they were all healed, but it says only one returned to say thank you. And it says that man was made whole. There's a difference in being healed and then being whole. And so as you exit the program, you will all be, be healed. But when you return to say thank you by praying for Teen Challenge, by giving to Teen Challenge, by serving in your local church, when you return and be that one that says, I will return to say thank you, that takes you to a whole new level of wholeness. That's why I say thank you to the Lord by serving. Because I understand serving brings me into a place of wholeness. It's not just healing. It's, it's a whole other level. It's wholeness. Now, number three, not only are we going to be joyful, let me see your joyful face. Come on, Bethany, let me see it. I like it. I wish I had a camera, you know, put you on the big screen. I know it's hard for George today after Kentucky's loss to have a joyful face. It's hard for me after Tennessee's game to have a joyful face. I was pulling for Kentucky. Let's keep it godly now. Keep it PG, pretty godly. <laughs> just PG, pretty godly. That was brand new. That was just for today. Fresh from the throne of heaven. Yeah. All right, let's go home now. <laughs> Realize this. Here's the, the third secret to successful supernatural serving. We're going to be joyful. We're going to show thankfulness. And then realize God has given you the ability to be effective. Now, I thought about highlighting it, but I thought about it later. And it, I wish you could, in your mind, color that word effective a different color. Color it blue or yellow or some kind of color that will stand out. Not only has God called you to serve and he has he equipped you to serve, but he has also called you to be effective in what you do. Now, do you know when you are at your peak of effectiveness it's when you're doing what you're good at. It's when you're doing what you're called to do. Bob is a wonderful man of God. Bob serves a lot. But Bob is not effective on the worship team. Can I have an amen? That's why Bob didn't get the invitation this morning to, call, to come. He does, you know. I, again, no offense against Bob. George. George is a wonderful man of God. He's effective in what he does. But George would not be effective if he were on the worship team. There's one line in one song that he had a solo in a long time ago. And they would, this choir would sing. And then George, this, they would, everybody would be quiet. And he'd go, I'm not going down. We're going up. And then that was it. And then they would move on. So if George wants to get up here on stage and sing, we're not going down the whole time, then he might be effective. Just, just like there's certain things that I'm not effective in. Be honest with you here. Miss Mary and Carrie and Angela, man, they've got such a, a gift for hospitality. Dear me, they have a gift for hospitality. Every time I buy the food and the plates and the stuff, I forget something that's really important, like spoons, like you're having chili and I forgot the spoons. It's because that's not my gift. I, don't, I can do that. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to help. But that's, I'm not as effective because that's not what God has called me to do. Look at 2 Timothy 1.14. Say this to me. Say, God has called me to be effective. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here as a pastor uh, because I love you and I care about you. And I understand we have a lot of needs. Now, there's something about being willing to do anything. There's something about being willing to help and serve in any area. I love it. People come and they say, hey, I'm willing. What do you want me to put me wherever? That's great. We need people like that. 
But as a pastor, my heart is to get you flowing in your function, to get you flowing in what God has called you to be and made you the most effective in. Because number one, if you are effective in it and you're good at it and it's a passion for you, I won't be calling you on Saturday night reminding you, hey, you're serving in this place this morning because it's your passion, it's your gifting, you're effective in it. I never have to call Mary and Angela and say, hey, are y'all bringing snacks on Sunday morning? Hey, Tom, are you playing the drums Sunday morning? Hey, Jazz, are you coming early to do the sound? No, because it's a passion. It's a gifting. So let me tell you this as a pastor. Yes, be willing to serve anywhere, but also communicate with our staff. Pastor Michael, no, if you're serving in an area and it's just not flowing, you're not effective, let us know and, and let us work with you and move you to a place of effectiveness. My heart for you is that you have a joy in serving and that you're effective. Carrie and his father helped us out at our Prosser campus and, and built a beautiful, much, much needed closet there. They did it in like a day and a half. I would still be working on that dadgum closet <laughs> if I were the one building it. You got to find what you're effective in. Notice this here, verse 14 and first, uh, 2 Timothy 1 says, Guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit that was trusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Say this when we say, I have a good deposit. Oh, man, we just struck something there. Come on, sit say, I have a good deposit. Say it again. I have a great deposit. Because the deposit in me is a God deposit. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you may have been told your whole life that there's nothing good on the inside of you. But when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, you have a good deposit. Why is it good? Because it came from God. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you, you're not going to make it and there's nothing good in you. And the reason this tragedy happened to you is because you are bad. My children are not bad kids. I do not say you're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. I say you're a good boy, but you made a bad decision. You're a good girl, but you made a really bad decision. Because guard the good deposit. Why is it good? Because it's a God deposit. And it's on the inside of every one of you this morning. Past giftings. Write this down if you're taking notes. Past giftings or gifts. Past gifts or giftings. Susan's not here to help me. Past gifts require present attention. Really sense that real strong this morning. Past giftings require present attention. It says guard. How many of you've ever, how many of you've ever walked up to a property and they had a guard dog? How many you know that thing was active? That thing was in tune with what you were doing. That thing was watching every move. We've been trapping animals at my house this week. Apparently, we've been invaded by critters. Had to pay a company to come out and set a trap for a skunk. We had a skunk bury under our driveway. I mean, it really stinks. I mean, come on. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. And then they said, well, we're going to leave the trap for another day or two. Just make sure there's no babies or anything. And this morning, when I walked out, I wasn't even paying attention. And he said, if you see something, if you see the trap door closed, be real careful. What you, you know, don't just run out, you know, screaming, ah, you know, have the joy of the Lord quietly in your heart if you see so I went out this morning and Miss Tara, the lovely Miss Tara, bless her heart, was helping me carry all this stuff out that I bring with us on Sundays. And uh, she got up to it and I said, Tara, watch out! And she, because I saw the little, you know, the thing was down and she just about, I think she about peed on herself. I'm not going <laughs> to, don't tell her I said that. <laughs> but, 
she, she, she freaked out, and then I freaked out, and we started walking real quiet. There was something else in there. Oh, he called something else. I don't know if it was the neighbor's cat or what, but I didn't get close enough to find out. I called the guy. We called something else. Come back and get this varmint out of my house or whatever. But I was watching myself, and I was so guarded about what I was doing. I had all kinds of stuff to take in and out, and I would go way over here, and I'd be really, really quiet. It's hard for me to be quiet. I'd be really quiet. I was guarding my actions because I didn't know what was in the cage and I didn't want to disturb it. It says, guard the good deposit. Don't forget about the gift that God put in you. Don't forget about the compassion that the Lord put in you. I think compassion many times is, gets buried in the sand. You know, when you go to the ocean and you dig in the sand and the water comes and it, it will cover up everything that you've done. And, and I've, we've seen a lot of good sandcastles vanish in just a moment because here comes the tide. I think the, the compassion, there's something in your heart that grieves you. There's something in your heart that touches you. It strikes a chord. If, if you could solve any problem in the world, what would it be? What makes you cry? If you could solve any challenge in society, what would that problem be? Would, it, would you eradicate abortion? Would you fix that? Would you stop it? Would you eradicate hunger in children? Would you eradicate domestic violence? Would you eradicate uh, maybe the situation for having to be forced into being a single mom or single dad? What would you solve? What problem? What grieves you is what leads you. You didn't make that up. That's a deposit from the Holy One, and it could just be your assignment in life. I guarantee you, Pastor Michael and his family, they have a heart for any city kids, inner city kids, because they, they have that there, and they can't, you can't get away from it. You've got to guard that deposit. Most people never reach their dream level because they never reach their service level. You've got to guard the deposit the Lord put in you. Number four, we're going to try to land this plane. Is this helping anybody anywhere? Amen. Should we take up another offering? I mean, this is really good stuff. Number four. This is, I want to spend a few minutes here. We've got some time. I want to spend just a few minutes here on this since it's real strong this week. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to empower your serving. In just a few minutes, I want to take us on a journey about what Scripture calls being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being, some, some translations call it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In, in our church, in the Assemblies of God, we teach that there are two experiences. One is your initial salvation, which we thank God for, but that's really just kind of step one. Now, you can receive salvation, and you will go to heaven. Don't ever let anybody tell you that if you've not received the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you're not going to heaven. There's some really goofy teaching and doctrine out there that says if, if you don't speak in tongues, so to speak, then you're not going to go to heaven. That's not scriptural at all. But there is very clearly in scripture, there is a second experience that we can see. There's the experience of giving your life to Christ, becoming born again. And then there's the second distinct experience outlined very clear in scripture about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not, it's not that you get more of God. It's not that if you're not what, what, what the translations call, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're sub-spiritual. It's not that you don't love God. When I became filled with the Holy Spirit at a very young age, God got more of me. 
It wasn't about me getting more of God. You, you don't have any less of God than I have. It's God gets more of me, and it's, it's just another level of grace. It's a, it's a separate experience. And I begin to look back that what, what has helped me in my serving? What has helped me? What has sustained me? And it's, to, it's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because when I, the Bible says that when we pray in the Spirit, then I encourage myself. And that, and Paul talks about praying in other tongues. He says, when you pray in other tongues, you're praying in the Spirit. And the Scripture clearly says, when I'm praying in my heavenly prayer language, I'm not praying for you. I'm not, I'm not praying to exhort you. I'm praying to edify and exhort myself. And there are times when I'm serving the Lord that I need to exhort myself. I need to encourage myself in the Lord. And I begin to think, what has helped me more than anything sustain servability? What has, what has helped me being available and willing and keeping joy and a good attitude over the long term? Over the long haul? What's going to sustain me 20 years from now? And it's really the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this in Scripture, Acts chapter 6. Let's look at verse 3. I want you to see this this morning. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. This is what we talked about earlier, of good reputation, full of the Spirit. Somebody say, full of the Spirit. And wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Let me give you a little history. The apostles were spending so much time distributing food that they were not able to preach the word. And they said, we want to find seven men that can take this task of distributing food so that we can give ourselves to prayer, overseeing churches, and ministering the word. Now look at verse 4. Acts 6, 4 says this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Look at verse 5. Is there verse 5? Maybe not. Yeah, okay. I thought my, my Acts translation has verse 5. Let's see if the screen does. This statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen. Notice this, a man of full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to see. They chose Stephen. He was a man full of faith. Somebody say, full of faith. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's an element that I want you to see. Look at verse 6. They brought... Before the apostles, these men, and it named several men, Philip and Timian and Nicholas, they brought them before the apostles and they, after praying, they laid their hands on them. They commissioned them for service. Stephen was serving, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. So look with me now at Acts chapter 19. I began to just think through this and just to show you this morning, and again, I know that different churches teach this different ways. But as a pastor, I must give you an opportunity. As a pastor, I must give you an opportunity to receive all that God has for you. If you've been asking, what's next in my walk with God? How many of you have been asking, what's next in my walk with God? If you've been asking, Lord, take me to a higher level in my joy, a higher level in my serving, I would encourage you to study the Scriptures and see what they say about what this is called as far as the infilling of the Holy Spirit because it will absolutely change and revolutionize your life. Look at this in Acts 19. Apollos was at Corinth... Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. Somebody say disciple. So he found some disciples, and he said to them, look what he said in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they're disciples, shake your head, and they believed. Shake your head. How many of you see that very clearly? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we know that we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, There is an initial 
uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit, but Paul is directly speaking to the second experience, the second gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, did you receive the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I've never even heard of a second experience. I've never even heard of something else the Lord wants to do in my life. And how many know that's a lot of us? That's, that's a lot of us in this community. And he said, well, then, well, then what, how are you baptized? And look with this. He said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism of repentance. Now notice this here in verse 4. Paul said, you know, John baptized with repentance, telling people to believe in him. So they followed John. John said, believe in Jesus. So they were disciples. They were believing. They had been baptized in water and, and believed that Jesus was coming after him. Now look at verse 5. I want you to see this. When they heard this, they were baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's salvation, what we would call it, confirming their salvation experience. They, they were believed, so they were baptized. Baptism doesn't bring salvation, but it's a confirmation that you've been uh, saved and born again. Now notice this. Then Paul laid his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. We can see here very clearly that they, there was a second experience apart from salvation. Now, if this were the only example, we couldn't use it. Because the Bible says, let every doctrine be established by two or three witnesses. Let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If this were the only passage, we'd have a really hard time making a doctrine that this was for every believer everywhere and all time. But there's many examples. Look with me at Acts chapter 8. Let's go to Acts 10. I'm sorry. Let's look at Acts chapter 10. Now, how many of you have heard of Cornelius? Remember Cornelius and, and Peter? I'll just give you a little history lesson here. Peter is up on the roof, and uh, he's praying, and, and he falls into a trance, and the Lord shows him a vision. And what he's doing, he's separating Jews from Gentiles. And he's saying God, to this point, had really primarily ministered to the Jews, and God is saying to Peter that I want to get this message to the Gentiles. I want to get this gospel to those that are non-Jewish. How many of you in the house are non-Jewish? Yeah, then we're all Gentiles. How many of you love bacon too much to be Jewish? Amen. So we're all, we're all Gentiles. We're non-Jewish. And so the, the whole vision is, is, is God told Peter to go to this man's house, and then God told Cornelius, hey, a man is going to come and visit you. The Lord was speaking to both at the same time. Isn't it great when God speaks to two people at the same time about the same thing? And so, uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, I want to tell you about Cornelius. I want you to lay a little groundwork here. So, a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, means he was a leader of a hundred. He, he was a leader in the, in the army. He was uh, in the Italian cohort. Look at verse 2. I want you to see this. He was a devout man. Somebody say devout. devout. He feared God. Say, he feared God. With all of his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. I mean, this sounds like a pretty good guy. He's got a heart after God. Now, let's jump on down here, and let's go down to verse 44. So Peter arrives, and they have this interchange, and Peter tells Cornelius, this is what I saw, and Cornelius says, this is what I saw in a dream and vision. And then they come together, and, and then Peter decides, well, we got to do something about this. God's wanting to do something here. It had been eight years... And they weren't ministering to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, go. He confirmed, go. He said, go. We read Matthew 28, go into all the world, go to all the nations. But they were only going to the Jewish people. So here we are, 8 to 10 years into this, and it's, the, the gospel had still not spread to the Gentiles like the Lord had, had hoped. So when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those. How many did it fall on? 
it ought to fall on everybody in the house this morning. Not just a select few. It fell on all those that were listening, all those that were paying attention. So you ought to listen to the sermon. You never know what might happen. Can I have an amen? It fell on all those that were listening to the message. Now look at verse 45. I want you to see this verse. And all the Jewish believers, that's what the circumcision means, all the Jewish believers came to Peter and they were amazed. Why were the Jewish believers amazed? Because the gift, somebody say gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. It had been given to the non-Jewish people. How do they know that the gift was poured out? Look at verse 46. How, 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 what was the evidence that these Gentile believers had received the gift of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that equips us for serving? What was the evidence? How did they know they had received the gift? Because something happened. There was an evidence to the experience. It says they heard them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Another translation says in prophesying. They heard them speaking in tongues, prophesying, exalting God. And then Peter answered. Look in verse 47. Peter realized that God was not just withholding the gift of the Holy Spirit that came in Acts chapter 2. He wasn't withholding that for just Jewish believers. Look what Peter said in verse 47. Surely no one can refuse water. He's saying, let's baptize these men now in water. But for they have received the Holy Spirit just like we have. Now, do you remember in John 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples in John 20? What happened in John 20? Jesus appeared to his disciples. Where was that? John 20. What happened in John 20? I just want to make sure you're awake, okay? I don't want to be up here talking by myself, okay? So in John 20, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to his disciples. And he, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Every Bible scholar and commentator will tell you that that's when the disciples were born again. How you know, believing on the resurrected Jesus is when we become born again. That's the, that's the key. You believe that Jesus risen from the dead. Confess in your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised them from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. So way back in John 20, the apostles, they, they saw the resurrected Lord, they believed and they were saved. Jesus breathed on them and they received the initial Holy Spirit at salvation. But then we go all the way to Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost, Jesus had already ascended back to heaven, and then it says they were all in one accord. They were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit was poured out in such a powerful way, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The same group in John 20 who received the initial Holy Spirit when they were born again were filled again with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Read it for yourself. So Peter here says they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. He said they received it just like we did. So they received it just as we did. How did they receive it? They were born again. And the Holy Spirit began to do a work in their life. And then there was a second distinct experience in Acts chapter 2. This is exactly what happened to Cornelius and his family. In verse 48, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they stayed there a few days. Now let's look at Acts chapter 8. I want you to see this very clearly. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. So those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. What were they preaching? And the word was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, doesn't the Bible say we are saved through the preaching of the gospel? Now notice this here. Philip, somebody say, oh, Philip. 
I like Philip. He's an he's a, he's a interesting character. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Who's he preaching? He's preaching Christ. Now I want you to notice this here in verse 6. So the crowds with one accord were giving attention. That word, if you look that up in the original Greek language, means they were receiving it. How I many know sometimes I'm in here preaching and, and these guys may be receiving it, but these, some of these over here may not. This group may be receiving it, but, but maybe over here it's falling on deaf ears. These folks were hearing it and they were receiving it. It was going into their heart. Just like when you put a quarter in the quarter machine and it goes in and you can crank the knob and something comes out. It was clicking. They were receiving the word. And so they saw signs that Philip was performing. Now look at verse 12. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news. What's Philip preaching? The good news. Jesus saves. He was risen from the dead. They believed. Romans 10, 9, 10. When we believe and confess with our mouth, we're saved. Say it with me. Say, when I believe and when I confess, I'm saved. So Philip's going down. He's preaching. There's this great revival. And all these people get saved. Notice this. They believe the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. They were being baptized. You did not baptize people who were not born again. Some churches today sprinkle you as a baby. Some people will just baptize you into their church. You want to join our church? you got to be baptized into the church. In the New Testament, you were not baptized unless you were a believer because that was your public confession that I'm a Christ follower and you could be put to death. You could be put to death if you were baptized because that was the sign that you had committed your life to Christ. You did not get baptized unless you were a believer. So notice this here. They were baptized. Look in verse 14. I love it. It says men and women alike. I love that. The gospel is all inclusive. Can I have an amen? Now look at verse 14. So the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received. What did they do? They received the word. They were born again. Revival had happened. And so they sent Peter and John. The apostles were going to go and establish a church. Look what happened here in verse 15. When they came down, they prayed for them. Who'd they pray for? The ones that were born again. Prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That's the Acts chapter 2 experience. Being, in, being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. This is not me. I'm not making this up. There are millions and millions. There's probably, there's probably 300 million people in the world that agree and believe Everything that I'm telling you today, this is not some little closet thing that just somebody decided what sounded good and made it up. This is a real legitimate experience in the body of Christ. Look what happened. They were born again. And look with me at verse 16. For he, that's the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're not baptized if you're not a believer. So there's a second work of grace. There's a second experience. And as I begin to analyze, how can I serve God? It's Acts 1.8. It's the power of God that flows through me. Look at Romans 7.6. I want you to see this. Well, verse 17 says they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So there's an impartation when we pray for people. When, well, I don't want anybody to lay hands on me and pray for me. I understand you don't want your hair messed up. Your hair's not that nice, number one. You're, I love you, but receiving the Holy Spirit's more important than messing your hair up. Can I have an amen? 
I heard about a guy one time in a prayer line, they dumped a whole bottle of oil on him. Now, that may be crossing the line, okay? I don't want a whole bottle of oil dumped on me. You better hear from God if you go pour oil all over my head, praise the Lord. Or you're just going to leave a greasy mess if not. But they, it says in Acts 8, 17, they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Notice this here. They were receiving. How do you receive salvation? Anybody ever received salvation in the house? How did you receive salvation? You believed. You received it. You, T.C., when he got saved, he didn't come down. The preacher just say, here comes salvation. You know, T.C. had to believe and he had to receive. We receive the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit the same way. The same faith that allowed you to receive to be saved is the same faith that will allow you to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's, just, it's, that, it's that easy. It's the same faith. Look with me at Romans 7, 6 as we close this up today. We've been delivered from the law. That's works. That's working to get God to love us. And we have died to what we held, were held by. That's bondage and legalism. So that we should serve. Somebody say serve. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. Why did I spend 20 minutes talking to you about the Holy Spirit filling your life? Because it will take you to a new joy in your walk with Christ. And you may have a great, joyful walk with God now. When you begin to flow and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit at an even greater level, it will take you to a new level. We are to serve God in the newness of the Spirit. Last point, number five, serving God unleashes the supernatural in your life. Serving God unleashes the supernatural in your life. You want to give a word of prophecy. You want to give a word of wisdom that only God knows about a situation. You want to lay hands on somebody that's sick and see them be healed. You want miracles and faith. You want to be able to speak in tongues and have somebody interpret and the body be edified. It will never happen if you're not serving. I have a problem with people who show up on Sundays at 1030 and expect to flow in all the gifts and leave right at 12. They blow in, blow up, blow out, but they've got no interest in serving the body. You're not going to be used by God in that way because serving unleashes the supernatural in your life. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. These pe those people just want to show. They just want a, a platform. They're not interested in serving the body. That's why as a leader, i got to be so cautious and careful about who we let randomly, some stranger, some random person come in. And, and, and if God is moving on them in that day, man, I will go for it. I'm, I'm for anything that is God. But I also know that a lot of people just want a microphone and a platform, and they don't care about you. And I care about you. Look what happened in Acts chapter 6. This is Stephen. Remember this guy? He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was serving. The apostles said, we got to pray. We need somebody to serve tables. And Stephen is waiting tables. He's picking up coffee. He's picking up napkins. He's pouring cream in the people's food. He's, he's, he's passing out all this food. He's serving. Now look what happened. Stephen full of grace and power. Stephen was a man of God. But he was able to serve others. Jesus was God, and he was able to serve others. Notice this here. Stephen, this is not an apostle. This is not the pastor. This is the volunteer. I can't wait till we have superhero outreach, and y'all that are serving food start laying hands on people in the food line, getting them healed. 
It's not the pastor. This is not the apostle. This is the volunteer in ministry. He is serving and notice this. He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Serving releases the supernatural in your life. Amen? Amen. Man, that's exciting. It is good.